0: All right, everybody. Welcome into the next episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. Uh, I've got a special guest here with me today, Austin Hancock. He and I met through a uh, mutual group in Collective Genius. That's how we kind of got to know each other. Um, I don't know, maybe about six months ago. And Austin runs an extremely cool business. You know, he's something he's doing a lot of things that I'm sort of aspiring to do. So I wanted to bring him on. To have him share his story in real estate, what got him to where he is today, and you know how he's using real estate and his businesses to help him get closer to the things that he wants. Um, so, welcome in, Austin. It's great to have you. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it, man. It's, I'm happy to be on the show. Awesome. So, a few things that I know about you: you came from the military. And uh, when I met you the first time, your wife came with you to the Collective Genius Group and got to meet you both. And I know you got a couple girls, but tell us a little bit about your background um, and how you made your way into real estate. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh,
1: my background with real estate really starts probably uh, really young, you know, growing up, going to job sites, working for my dad. Uh, you know, before I could even drive a car. So 15, 14 years old, working summer jobs, sweeping out houses and cleaning up. I didn't obviously know I was working on real estate or anything like that. I was just doing what I was told to do. And right. I'd bring a few buddies along, you know, from the baseball team in the neighborhood and we would just work and he'd pay us a few extra bucks and we had fun and made fun of it. Uh, that progressively grew into me, you know, going through high school and Working for him all summer, and then getting out of high school, and kind of figuring out what I was going to do with my life. Um, right out of right out of high school, I was started working for him full time in construction, and was just doing everything that I'd learned to do. I mean, I had I was trimming closets, so I've done everything from pouring structural concrete, tie and rebar to trim carpentry, framing. I mean, my dad was a builder, so and he's mm-hmm. also a uh, a structural engineer, so he knows what he's looking at, knows what he's doing. And uh, we weren't allowed to cut any corners. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I've, done, I've done all of it. I got a really cool experience with that. But at that point in my life, after high school, I was done. I didn't want to do that anymore. And I, I actually went to college for like one semester and was like, this is not what I want to do right now. So I'd always wanted to be in the military. And so I just decided to pivot it. That was in uh, 2006. And so I joined the United States Marine Corps. I uh, went off and went to boot camp. I had signed up for the infantry and I served four years in the Marine Corps. Wow. got to do a lot of cool stuff doing that. Um, you know, traveling overseas as in Iraq from 2007, 2008. I got to do a few other joint operations like with the Moroccan army. I worked a few uh, operations with special forces and really got a broad perspective of, you know, life at like 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting out of the military. At like, I think it was 21, 22. And uh, I got out and. Went back to work, went back home, went back to Oklahoma and did what I knew knew to do and jumped back into construction, man. And so started working for him and I, I ran some equipment. So I started doing a little more, more high level stuff, you know, than I was before, uh, a little more in depth. But I was running equipment, you know, from skid steers to large excavators. I was doing welding. I was doing, uh, you know, a little bit of minor project, uh, super project uh, management and supervision stuff. Uh, just really have a jack of all trades, whatever he needed done, we figured it out,
0: you know. Well, it's nice yeah. to have a mentor that's your dad, right? That's been through yeah. it all that can sort of, you know, I mean, I can tell you my experience with construction so far has been it comes down to, you know, experience. Um, and if you don't have the experience, well, the only way to get the experience is to get around the guys who have the experience. So it sounds like that's exactly what you did.
1: Yeah, yeah. And almost, uh, I almost took that for granted, right? I didn't even know what I, I just the people I was around were other builders, uh, their subcontractors. Like I had the connections with all of them. Um, and at that point uh, I was getting a little burnout on working for family, coming out of the military. I mean, I, I just wanted to be my own again and do my own thing. A very driven, um, and just, just frustrated. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of voiced that to a few friends of mine that I went to the gym with and they were both entrepreneurs. And they're like, man, they started inspiring me like, man, why don't you just start your own company? You know, they they were both successful. And, uh, I was like, well, I don't know anything about that, but they, you know, coming funny coming from an entrepreneurial father. I was just used to still doing the work, not necessarily groomed to be the boss, Um, but they inspired me and kind of helped me pivot and said, Hey, you should start your own business. And I was like, well, the only thing I knew was building houses. And so I, uh, I don't know if we
0: covered it, which market are you in?
1: uh, I'm in Oklahoma city. Great. Yep. Yep. And so so the quick and skinny on it is that I just I just kind of started. I went to my dad and said, hey, a couple of these guys told me that I'm going to start my own business. And they kind of explained the basics of it. They're doing pretty well for themselves. They're older than me um, by about 10 years. And so I uh, I told him that, and he, I was fortunate enough that he said, you know, I'll, I will help you. I'll help you. I've helped you, you know, learn construction. I know what you know you're doing, and you know I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to teach you or anything with it. I'll, I'll teach you what you need. You know, I can help from a supervision standpoint of, not getting into too much debt, not, you know, overbuilding or underbuilding or building something and getting sued, things like that. It was great Mm -hmm. to have an engineer on my team. Um, uh, Maybe overbuilt some things, but that's because I have an engineer for a father. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So I built, I built two houses. I was, I got, I I had, I financed the lots and the builds and I had built up enough uh, credit that I could do that. But I, I also needed a guarantor. So I was fortunate that, I mean, he, he guaranteed the, the construction loans. And so I kind of went in both feet first. I was mm-hmm. still working for him full-time while I was checking my jobs. And at that point in my life, um, I just gotten married and, uh, we hadn't had kids yet. And so, but anyways, I built two spec houses. So houses for sale, speculative investments. Right. Um, And I ended up selling one of them after it was finished in a pretty short period of time. Like I was started negotiating before it was even done. And now, and that I ended up getting that house to fruition and sold that house. And I ended up making about $45,000 on that one house. And that was in like 20, I want to say 2014 or 2015. And that was amazing. I mean, that was the most money I'd ever seen. That was more money than I made a year working for him. I mean, I got paid hourly still working for family. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, this is awesome. So uh, I kept on the other one while I was working. And uh, and then I, I ended up making a little less on that one. So I, I kind of got, I didn't lose, but I, I only made about 20-ish, which was still amazing by all means. But I saw how big of a difference just two houses. And th- these are literally houses right next to each other. Same plans, maybe reversed, almost similar finishes, you could see how, well, how did I make that on this one? How did I not on that one? And just starting to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, learning by with making money, that's not a bad thing. Um, and so I, I, I did that. And then I got a little bit of traction from people seeing those in that neighborhood. And a few other people uh, asked me, you know, potentially to build some customs. And then I nurtured those relationships and kept going until I was able to finally
0: do customs for other people full time. And- so how long was that between the time that you did your first couple houses and customs, you know, customs? because actually I think that that transition right there, you know, we have a, tendency to sort of skip over that, but, but <laughs> yeah. that's like, that is the, that's the meat of it right there. Like, yeah. how do you go from your first couple deals to like doing custom homes and building an entire business? And I think that gap, it's lots not of times as fast gets as overlooked. it seems. Yeah. No, you're I just was, like, bro, Oh, bro. and I just nurtured <laughs> those relationships. And then here we are.
1: Yeah. Like- good. Very good point. It's just part of the story, right? It's just how I regurgitate it. But right. truthfully, I mean, it's, it's hard times, right? Cause you make some money and then you're like, Well, now what? I got to go back to the bank and see if I get some more lots. Those were infill lots, so meaning they're like the back end of a a development. And so they weren't anymore in that neighborhood. So now I had to go see if I could get into another development, which in Oklahoma, uh, a lot of times you have to get approved through that developer. You have to have the relationship with the developer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to take down X amount of lots, which I didn't have the clout for. Um, And so it was a while. You know, I was nurturing some of the relationships on the houses that I had sold. I was marketing a little bit. I was still, you know, working construction for him. Um, And I want to say that was probably at least there was. So what happens in a custom home and when you sell it is that that relationship and the time you spend is there's a lot of front load. And so you will you may spend six months to a year with somebody nurturing that relationship going over their plans going over their ideas working with the designer you know come giving your input on that and then they may go bust or they may move and you could spend a whole year to six months with somebody Mm -hmm. and not even make the deal to go to fruition right so i receive nothing the plan designer gets paid the interior designer gets paid the you know everybody gets paid except for me because i'm essentially volunteering my time that's just how the model is with what, what we had set up and uh so uh that, to answer your question, probably didn't start breaking ground on another house for
0: over a year, right? Because you got to go back and restart it. And that's what i found is um, in my business, the first couple deals were, are like the proof of concept. You, you got to prove the concept. You got to show that it's doable. Yeah. But then you realize like, crap. Now I got to go it again. All, the, all the way, go back to the beginning and restart this car. You know, I use this analogy with my team about momentum. It's like, you know, when the car is, you know imagine a car that's sitting in neutral you know to get this thing moving you got to get a bunch of guys and you really got to push but like once it's rolling i mean you can just have one guy push it with one hand and that's it right. um much easier to keep a business that's that's you know fully running so it the first couple of deals really aren't a business it's the proof of concept and it's Absolutely. that journey from proof of concept to actually having this business that's reliable that's really where what separates the men from the boys you know what i mean it's like well, that's yeah. where it really happens some some people live in that in that purgatory forever
1: in right. their business right like expect and so uh, this is kind of a fast forward but and, and the reason that diff, uh, custom home building and that type of building is difficult uh is because you may build two and hit some home runs you may build two and you may sit on them and so, all the time that you sit on those and you're trying to get more customs, you're literally paying for interest on those ones that you mm-hmm. have sitting. You may not have any other clients or you may have some prospects, but you're massaging those relationships for six months, eight months, 10 months. Then the, then you get 7% interest rates, and everybody's like, well, Mr. Hancock, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to wait until things come down. We're going to wait till lumber goes down. And, you know, I mean, I had multiple deals in the pipeline just to spin up to like in 2020, 20 that were just backing out. I mean, I had two specific deals that they were custom homes and in Oklahoma, they were uh, both the houses were over 2 million. And so, so that's just 4 million in gross that we were going to do. And they pulled the plugs. I mean, they spent over $30,000 just in plan design, you know, sometimes people will send six figures, but so that was really tough because people are like, when I, when I, when I sit with those folks in 2020 and I say, I don't know how much you're, your lumber is going to be. Usually, I'm pretty good at estimating this, but I can't guarantee. So it's like, here you go. Yeah, they're best like, guess. They're and they're like subject okay, to change. We're we're not going to do it. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't blame you, but that really sucks for my last six months. Um, so so yeah, to rewind, yeah, it probably took about a year before I got some customs like to actually breaking ground. And so actually breaking ground for everybody listening to this means actually making money because I don't make any money when you do a cost plus job you're not making any money until you get to invoice something and you don't have anything to invoice
0: until you start taking down trees. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, I think why a lot of people don't get started in development and building custom homes um, because there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of downside to that. There's a lot of upside in that as well. And so, um, The cash diversion cycle is really long. Right. It's really long. I mean, yeah, this is where I'm finding myself as well into this, you know, construction development. And we're not talking about a six month flip here. We're talking about like minimum 12 months and more likely closer to 24 months. You know, right. usually it settles between 16 and 18. Right. But that's, that's terrible from a cash conversion cycle. Right. So 100%. you got, I call them, you know, it's like your home run plays. Like I, these are my upside plays. And it sounds like that was the same for you. What was your reliable, consistent play? It sounds like working for At your, the time, my day job, man. Making yeah, your day job. an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, that's what we used to pay the bills. But then you got these big home runs. And, and I like that. It either needs to be extremely reliable and consistent. And I, I can take this to the bank. Like, it's a, you know, I right. have this job. Or I want there to be massive upside in it. Right. Yeah, so I love that you set that you set that up. It seems to be a fairly successful model. So you built some custom homes. Yeah, and, and then yes. how did it evolve from there?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I I kept it going. Right, I was I kept a few going. I did the parade of homes. I did uh, actually a awesome. street of dreams house, which is like a f- select few eight builders get to build one development, brand new, and uh, they're like baller houses. You know, what an hop. honor! That was awesome. So I got I got I got I applied for it and I got in and. Uh, yeah, but the, but they're risky specs, right? Like I knew going into it, but they're risky specs, uh, meaning that you're doing like my house that sold in there finally was like a $900,000 spec house. So you can see if that doesn't sell for a couple of years, what that would cost you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and, and that one, and that one hurt that was in 2018. Um, and, but anyways, I had some customs going at the same time. So we had some customs kicked up. They're still going. So I was doing that, and then at the meantime, so to rewind, I also had taken on uh, a, a small branch of my father's business. So my dad is actually a concrete contractor. That's what he does. He he went from being a builder, and he did he does basements here in Oklahoma, which are unheard of, and uh, because he's an engineer, so he engineered mm-hmm. the basements, and he, he's originally from Kansas. Anyways, he uh, he. Started just to do basements. He got too busy with the concrete work and stopped building. When about the same time, you know that I was coming back out of the military, and so it was a good transition, right? They're like, "Oh, well, Mike, do you build anymore?" He's like, "No, my son does." So that helped out too, right? That helped with the referrals. Yeah, um, that was huge. Uh, and then, but what I was saying, so I, 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 he has a waterproofing division of the company that only serviced his basements. And so that waterproofing, what he did is he just had an extra guy that did the waterproofing on basements. You living in Colorado, you guys probably have some basements and they do some waterproofing on there. Uh, That's what I did is I split that essentially to a separate entity instead Mm -hmm. of working for him for the $15 an hour. I negotiated with him that I will split this into another entity while I'm building and that I will, I want to grow this business because I know I can service other people with this product. And so I essentially was grooming two companies at the same time, not just, Full force. It's just my attitude with it, you know. But I, I was thinking of how can I not work hourly for my father, right? And how can I still, ha- how can I start to buy myself the freedom? Well, as we as we learn in entrepreneurship, that you could work three times as much that way. But it was rewarding, And uh, the fact that I grew that, you know, from what it was just servicing his business to servicing, you know, we do countless other accounts now, and mm-hmm. I still have that company. And so, anyways, I didn't want to just, I, I, you asked me a question a minute ago about how did I survive essentially between customs and stuff. And that is kind of what I was working on at the same time while I was nurturing those relationships.
0: Well, you got to have that. I mean, it's, you know, and the best analogy is that I think of is like the guy who's trying to get out of his day job and get into real estate investing. I mean, it's the classic, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I started listening to Bigger Pockets and now it's like, I'm going to go out and get a bunch of passive income. And it's like, yeah. yeah, but don't quit your day job until you've got some level of reliability. And um, yep. I just think that's smart, right? I just think it's it, this idea of uh, burn the boats is, <laughs> is is very much thrown around as if that is... Here's what I know about Cortez. When he burned the boats, and this happened in the 1500s, if he was going to go... if to go home meant execution. He had no options, but that's not, that's not the reality. You know, right. you have optionality. It means what can you do to cover your ass a little bit if it you all goes to. haywire because to. it's risky. And if you're willing to play that game and risk total ruin and death, well then maybe burning the boats is the best way to go. But I what I notice about successful entrepreneurs is that they've got backup plans and they've got reliability baked into some other way in their life. They don't just like jump off the deep end and hope it all works out. They've got things in reserve. Yeah, I mean, and, and
1: to your point, you know, if I was if I was starting a business and I was going all in and I was. Burning boats at the age of 17 instead of joining the Marine Corps. That may be a totally different standard, right? Because I don't have much to lose. Totally. You know, it's a different story at, at starting a marriage and then starting a family. And then things progressively increase as far as cost goes. Your wife going to college, you know, uh, having a second income with her helps a little things like that. Like there's a lot of other things that don't take into consideration. You know, I have a theory and uh, I don't, yes, I don't discuss it much, but it's, you know, you'll get friends, multiple people probably ask you what you do. How can I do it? How can I jump into entrepreneurship? But I don't think anybody discusses that there's different times in life and different severities and different consequences to that, right? Like, like I said, if I was 18 years old and I wanted uh, to go jump into something, man, I would say, go. If I could rewind and say, go, Austin, go do that. I mean, right after the Marine Corps, go as hard as you can. I would have gone harder there. But, what I ended up doing to go back to my story is I overlapped things. And I, and that leads me into my next progression, right? Like to where I am now and how we met as a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. I, I had custom still going while I was beta testing and starting to be a full-time real estate investor and not a custom home builder. Mm-hmm. And so I've never just like, there's not like a clean cut. And I think that that we're yeah. sold that like, you quit your job yesterday, then you go hustle and grind. Well, you're going to hustle and grind yourself to a foreclosure. I'm going to buy from you because you're going to be broke.
0: Yeah, I think of it as sort of like, if you're swinging from vine to vine, it's like, I'm not going to let go of this one until I got this one. That's a great example, man. Great you know, example. like don't just fling out into the open, like hoping that you're going to get it because. Cause it's hard at the beginning not- <laughs> and we <laughs> don't know what we don't know. Why do that when you're taking on more risk than is necessary. Right. Just it's and it. And it just doesn't, it doesn't sound as good, right. It doesn't sell as well. So, True. you know, That's just not what you hear. But, you know, I'm I I think that uh, what I'm hearing and you and I had the same sort of experience is like, don't let go of one vine until you got the other. If you don't unless you have to. Right. There's certain situations and certain times in your life when it might uh, be, you know, my wife and I, we got married about a year ago and, you know, we've been talking about having kids and having kids is going to make it much harder for me to build and and work the amount of time that I'm doing and dedicate as much time to this. And so there's seasons to life and there's certain yeah. seasons that line up with. And and if you're fortunate, you you have some foresight, you can plan around those seasons and not just try to like force things that aren't there just because you're not happy in your job or happy doing what you want to do. Like you can do a little, you can kind of work your way into both sides, and so I'm glad to hear you did the same thing. Because I just, I feel like that's less risky, if anything, yeah. if nothing else.
1: Uh, it was less risky in some aspects, but also I tended to, I tend to, in this situation, I just kind of, like you said, just <laughs> tried to ram it through because uh, at the same time, I, I just, I was at the same time, all this transitions going on, and I have these customs, and I'm also running this uh, service business. Uh, I'm hiring for that service business, right? I have the day-to-day that I'm doing now for the service company, which is my new job slash income. And I'm trying to grow it. You get the ups and downs with that, trying to figure out entrepreneurship in general, things that are, uh, you know, things that you should buy, when you should buy, all this stuff works. Uh, You know, I didn't know what a balance she was before that. So (laughs) uh, at the same time, I'm having kids. So I'm literally going through it. My daughters are, are five and six now. And so we were kind of uh fortunately, like my wife was working still she was able to work virtually while she was you know pregnant and then she had maternity leave and then she went back to her job and then uh yeah, that's how it worked out for us but um so to so going from custom home building all the way up until t- really twenty. 20- Uh 2021, I decided like this is hard. Like after 2020, it was just it was I realized that I'd gotten into something that may not be uh just just completely in love with it. And I realized that I was kind of stuck between the subcontractors doing one thing and trying to keep them on par for quality control. And then I'm now that 2020 has happened, the clients are very aggressive as well, right? Because you can't promise them pricing, you know, you can't promise when material is gonna be there. You're used to going off of a record of all the years prior to 2020 where you knew windows take six to eight weeks. You know uh, the lumber should cost X amount of dollars. Like I even – I worked in the industry and grew up in it, and I know builders that are in their 60s that could quote just off of what the commodity was. Like they knew it, and they had no clue, and I'm asking those guys. I mean I was – essentially in 2020, I was also on the board of directors for the Central Oklahoma Home Builders Association. So I'm around a large network of people and they're all saying the same thing and it is it got really difficult working between that the 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 um shortage of subcontractors, the price increases that you couldn't predict and then the homeowners still demanding and wanting the same the same house yeah that, that was available in 2018 2019 and yeah and uh, uh to rewind though, I mean I was purchasing rental property, you know, it's kind of part of being a builder as well. So it's like, yeah, if I got some time, I'll throw some subs on this. I'll buy that. And I had friends that wholesaled houses. I didn't really understand what that was by all means. I was just one of those buyers that we sell to now. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I bought them as high as they sold them to me as long as they made sense. Yeah. And uh, so I'd had a couple of rentals and I had bad experiences with them. Honestly, I was like, I don't want rentals. I'm a big builder. I don't need that stuff. They're headaches. I'm only making $300 a month. This is a joke.
0: Well, you mentioning something that I kind of want to dig into is like this identity that we start to associate ourselves with. Yeah. Um, and so the title of this show is called The Investor Frame. And what that means for, for those who are inside our community is essentially the investor frame is it's a, it's a frame as if like, you know, lenses, like, like you're wearing these glasses and you want to see the world through this frame and essentially says, knowing what I know now what I choose to opt in to my current situation? Meaning like things change. What we set out and we think that we're going to do, oftentimes, you know, what do they say? Uh, 90% of plans fail or something like that when you're, you know, engaging in war or something like that. But right point is, is like knowing what I know now, would I choose to i to to opt into this current situation? And that gets compounded significantly when you now have this identity you've built up in your head of, I'm this big, bad home builder, and this is what I do. Yeah, because you're
1: associating with those people, right? Like that's what you do. That's kind of the persona that has to be made when you're a parade of homes and you're on the magazine yeah. and this and that.
0: So kudos to you, right, for recognizing, hey. This is no longer serving me. This is no longer getting me closer to the things that I want. I don't really like this anymore. So how did you because that's got to be really difficult to to put down that identity and make this shift to from where I understand you are now, which will lead us into there. But what was it like kind of, you know, giving up that identity and moving, moving to a different direction?
1: Do you know what's funny, man? Honestly, it was the same fear that I had. I had probably more fear making that transition than I did when I started my business. And that's because of the chapter on where I where I am in life. I now have two kids. I'm now married and told my wife that I can prove to start a business and have an income. And, and now I'm going to completely pivot. I mean, it, it it doesn't sound like it's a pivot going from real estate to real estate, but it's a huge pivot when you're talking about the specific industry switch mm-hmm. and the style of it. Uh, but putting down the identity, what's funny is I don't feel like I ever attached to the custom home builder identity in my heart. I feel like I, I did it because it was what I knew, and I and I knew it so well. Like I said, I started so young that I could do it in my sleep, and it was just there as my opportunity. But I realized really quickly of exactly what you said that the I that I was around all of these other builders, I was around uh, that community, and that they all had this identity. And they had this concept, and I I would start to ask questions, and I started – and I had investor friends as well, like I said a minute ago. And I realized that this is going to sound crazy, but I don't think that they are out to make wealth or make money for themselves to make a better future. I think they're out to be – I think it's an ego competition. And at an early age and at an early time, I guess, in my career for that, I was – I didn't want to be associated or attached to that because for me, it wasn't. I was like, we're giving these people a great product. I want to give them the best house. They're still not happy with us sometimes. Um, they're human made products. And yeah. sometimes we're not making any money. So what are we doing? And sometimes we are. And sometimes we're doing great. But I realized really quickly a lot of the older veterans in that space, uh, it was definitely more for the credibility than it was about the monetary value. And for me, it's just I can't feed my family with pats on the back.
0: Sure. Well, and I, I think it's important to uh, that is a preference, right? If that is your like, if that's your thing, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's nope. call it like it is. Some people, uh, and I've found myself doing this in multiple, you know, kind of phases of my life, identifying with the tool as opposed to like, wait a second. I'm not this, this thing is supposed to serve me. I, I built this business to help me get the things that I want. And guess what? I'm also allowed to change my mind, right? because because the things that I wanted three years ago are not the same things I want today. and they're definitely not going to be the same th- same things I want three years from now. And the problem is is that when you associate with this identity, it becomes really difficult to detach from that. And so, Uh, but oftentimes people get a lot of their, their value from their own personal identity and it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just, you've got to recognize like, why are you doing this? Are you doing this so that people will, so that because you feel respected, because you want to be, uh, seen as someone who makes a lot of money and on and on and on. If that's your thing, nothing wrong with that, but let's call it like it is. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's right? and that's a lot of other industries, right? And that specifically is could be you know sometimes that industry. So
0: and we see this with wholesalers too, um, you know, because because <laughs> yeah. you and I surround ourselves with wholesalers, and I'm like I wholesale now, right? Yeah, and 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 they have this identity. I'm a wholesaler. I'm a fix and flipper. I do creative finance, and I'm kind of like, but would you do something differently if it was, uh a more efficient path to get where you're trying to go or are you just so caught up in this identity you've given to yourself that you can't see when a better option presents itself right because the best part about real estate investing as i've found is if you pick your head up you see a whole lot of opportunities out there and and again what you know now is going to be very different than what you know a year from now but you're but you're like making these decisions for years and years out into the future based on what you know now. But all that's going to change in a year. So if you attach to this future identity of where you're trying to go without remaining uh, open to the to optionality and you know a, a more efficient path forward, you're yeah. going to miss it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You you mentioned a minute a minute ago a quote or talking about you know adapting and you know something that I learned in the Marine Corps and that I use still today was improvise, adapt, and overcome. And if you can think through that, because just because you brand yourself as a, a real estate investor or just a wholesaler or whatever it may be, uh, the, uh, you're really limiting yourself on what on how you think, right? And that's what you're getting at.
0: Yeah. You know, I the question I ask myself oftentimes is like, uh, because I'm never going to just stop working. Like, that's not me. I enjoy again, I enjoy business as a sport and I want to be able to play this sport and then stop playing at any point in time and play something different. I want to play this game. I want to play this game. So I'm trying to design my businesses so that uh, it's truly passive from that from that perspective. And I ask myself, it's like, well, uh, how much do you need passively to play this game in for for, forever, right? Like, right. And you don't have to worry about it. And that's how I'm trying to solve my like financial certainty number is not by like, how much do I need? And let's just keep chasing this more, 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 more loop because in entrepreneurship, there's always more to be made. The question is for me, well, how do I get the businesses that I have to be so reliable that they serve me? They give me the things that I want in life so that my, my, uh, lifestyle doesn't need to really increase i have the things that i want but what i really want is to be able to play business as a sport forever um but again i've what i've found is a you know a a trap in some of these masterminds and things that we go in is it's oftentimes this source of of comparison you know i show up and i'm like damn austin's doing some cool shit like i need to do that i want to try that And, and I, and I find that like my human brain just is going to, it's going to do those things. But if you don't come back and say, wait a second, does that actually help you get closer to the things that you want? Like if you want to play business as a sport later and do that, that's fine. But we got to solve this first problem. Exactly.
1: Yeah. that that I see that a lot in masterminds. I see that a lot. I see that a lot. That's funny. I had this conversation about social media too. I think you see that a lot there, right? You see somebody yeah. else. I see Paul. He's he's doing fix and flips and I'm over here just doing wholesales. Man, he's really killing it. you know? And then you go to a mastermind and, and you, you may be, but if my whole model and I've started out, I just need to get my legs under me on wholesaling or whatever it may, or buying rentals. Yeah. And I should probably stick to that until I
0: get a little bit more successful. So is that what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, so I transitioned. I mean, uh, my wife's involved in this business now. We have a, a transaction coordinator. I've got a bookkeeper. My wife does dispo right now. I have an acquisition manager, and there's and then I also have property managers. So, so we've accumulated, you know, a small portfolio we're building and adding onto. And my objective is to continue to grow that portfolio at scale. At the same time, um, I'm I'm model. I'm doing a lot of wholesaling as well because that, that's kind of my funnel essentially. That's my deal flow and i get to buy the deals and keep the deals that i want and then if i don't then i spin them out um i don't do any fix and flips you know it's kind of funny and this is one of the presentations i had the first time i was there was just i try to veer away from too much construction uh maybe because i've done it so long but i also see you know it's funny because at the time that i did that the economy was great and everybody's killing it and they're like you're crazy you're crazy!" But uh, I know that there's multiple people that are holding on to multiple flips that they may be breaking even on or even losing money. And there's a lot of that going on in the United States with fix and flippers and people that are doing large scale stuff.
0: Oh Yo, you want I, got, I got caught, dude. I'm <laughs> I don't flip anymore for that yeah. reason. Yeah, we're yeah. Just- so
1: I've had my ass chapped, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't I didn't go into it in depth, but I had those I had a parade house and I had the Street of Dreams house. Uh, and we're talking almost two million and two two houses in real estate, you know, that I was sitting on and I, and it, it is not a fun feeling. And I was in 2018 where the economy probably feels, you know, a little bit like stagnant air we're living in today. And uh, it was just a waiting game. I made money on one and I lost money on the other, which subsidized me at a little bit of a net gain. But uh, I kept pushing and then I got the customs. Th- I was going through customs then, right, I was doing custom homes at the time and I finished them out and at the end of 21 and we started building the team in the beginning of 22 and here we are almost at the end of 22 and it seems like a flash in the pan. And that's kind of when I met everybody from the group, but uh, that's what I'm building now. I'm building a full blown operation. And what's funny is like, if you had talked to me three months ago, maybe when we first met, uh, I was like, I'm going to stick to wholesaling. I need to get good at one thing. I don't want to buy any property right now. And wholesaling was good. I mean, I made some, I made some, you know, base, good base hits, I made some, uh, you know, got to third a few times on with some wholesales. And I was like, this is awesome. I could see this. And right now the market's tightened up and everybody's feeling it. We're all talking about it. But uh, what I've realized is that we got to improvise and adapt and overcome in the same situation. And what you said earlier is I, my identity is not just a wholesaler. My identity is a real estate investor. And I got into real estate to, own property and to build a large portfolio and to have a significant net worth with that and how can I do that I can design my team to start doing that I do a lot of uh, to offset some of my cash flow we do a lot of contract for deeds hmm. and so we'll sell these properties and we'll get a good down payment and then we'll we'll cash flow more than we would on a rental um, and that's those are those are good those are really good because it gives me another bucket to put. These properties in that may not fit by buy box for a perfect rental, right? And maybe a 1941 instead, it might be something else, but that's where we're at today.
0: Well, I would imagine that, you know, all the years that you spent in construction, there's one thing I've learned about this business, real estate, because I'm fairly new to this business, um, but it's, it's business, right? It's really no different than the world I came from. Right. It's all about relationships, period, end of story. And- it sounds like you probably accumulated quite a few contacts building these custom homes and being involved with, you know, city councils and parade homes and all this sort of stuff. Um, what does your, let's talk about your wholesaling business now. Are you doing, because I mean, you've touched on it a few times. The market is, let's just say unsettling for a lot of people. Everybody's sort of like, what's going to happen. A lot of the buyers are sitting on the sidelines, just kind of watching and waiting. Um, you know what's working for you? Are you doing? Is it is most of your business coming from your relationships? Is it coming from your marketing efforts? How are you finding success uh, right now? So most of the
1: stuff that we're finding success in really is just I pivoted to, and this is all happening very fast, right? So it's it's changed within the last thirty to sixty days. Um, uh, the majority of, at the beginning we were just doing wholesale. I mean, we were we were doing great. We were doing quite a few wholesales, and at first it, we didn't have that big of a team. I mean, when I just When we pivoted in 2022, it was just my wife and I, we still had our bookkeeper. We still had our other business and not now that you bring up that point, Paul, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I still have a service business. So I get to see on the new construction side, what they're feeling as well. And I'm still Mm -hmm. networked into those groups of people. And so I kind of get to hear them uh, and how they're going to play out. and what's coming up, what's going on. And then I also get to work with you guys where I'm on the real estate investing side and I see a a similar perspective. I can tell you right now, we see it quicker as a real estate because our cash conversion cycle is so much quicker. So you'll see Mm -hmm. the the faucet will be turned off faster. Um, And when they're building construction, you say you're building multiple houses, you're on uh, construction loans. So they're still got to finish your project. You don't just, well, let's wait and see. So it's still moving. People are dialing off new builds. Um, things like that. But uh, the what we're doing now is, like I said, we, we, one of the biggest things is our contract for deed program. We really like that. And what we're doing is we're just essentially selling those properties uh, you know, on a lease. It's not a lease option. It's a contract for deed. So they get the contract and then they get the deed at the very last payment. And we'll do those. We're, we're essentially financing them on terms. And it allows us to, we'll do those on properties that don't mess, that aren't rehabbed. Right. So we're able to purchase property off the MLS. We're able to purchase property from wholesalers. And sometimes we'll just clean them up and we'll put them back out there. And a house that, you know, you couldn't sell for, let's call it market value because it's not in perfect shape, you'd have to take a hit on it, especially now you're going to get hit over the head. I would be able to sell it for quite a bit more on a contract for deed because I'm going to finance it for them. And I'll charge higher interest rates than the points we're, we're paying now, and I'll get a decent down payment. That down payment's typically the size of a wholesale fee or a small one here. And so that helps with the cash, and we're also still doing the wholesales. That's but right. I don't I do don't I any strategy. fix and flips. I don't – if I – my mind has always been this, and this is what I saw at the very beginning when I hear people doing a lot of fix and flips – is I think they get attached to that identity of like HGTV. Oh yeah, let's make it bougie. Look at my cool place. And I had that identity. I went through that phase. And I so I was fortunate that I didn't I didn't wear that shirt. Right, I didn't have to put that identity on as a real estate investor. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. We're here to make money. We're here to you know do affordable housing. Um, but so what I'm getting at is is, is these are just cost effective, simple, simple houses that. Cash flow, and we don't go too crazy.
0: There's such a market in my mind too, for the, for the folks who know how to get a little creative. Um, it, I'm, I am a, a statistic. Like I am one of those guys that got into real estate when everybody was getting into real estate and it was going up. Um, and I'm also trying not to be a statistic where you get weeded out.
1: What I mean is. <laughs> I think I it's I think, both of us. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's not trying to get weeded out.
0: Right. Um but but yeah if as all these people are coming into the market and they're all being taught by the same gurus they all have the same strategies in my mind it's the folks who know how to find the gaps it's the it's the creative strategies like contract for deeds it's the creative strategies that exist and i think it really just reflects on your ability to What's your, what is your ability to structure good deals for the other side to find the opportunity? Right. And that's sort of how I've spent the last maybe six months really trying to educate myself is look the traditional wholesaling model. If that's all you have in your toolbox, in your toolbox, like good luck, you're competing with like thousands. We're not even talking about hundreds. It's thousands of thousands of people in your market that are all trying to get rich quick. And make that $20,000 hit and if you don't have a way to to really add value to that seller it becomes a commodity game you're just battling it out on price alone and if you're just competing on that I don't see how you last in this market
1: well and that's not even a real real estate investor you know I think it's been sold to us within social media and all these gurus that that's really a real estate investor but being fortunate that I had some of these guys selling me deals before I knew what the hell wholesaling or real estate investing really was those, the older school guys, man, they were going to the sheriff's sale. They were doing all sorts of things before any of these CRMs, any of these prop streams, any of that stuff was out really. And they were getting that data old the old way, knocking on doors or, you know, the tax sale, the sheriff sale, and so many other ways. They were getting private capital. And so I put, it was funny as I put those pieces on, I put those pieces in, I, I put them together in my brain, I should say, later. Like as I would hear things happening now, like what we're learning, I'd be ah, that's what that guy was doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't know, but I now I'm able to connect it. Which it's like I'm I'm building this much faster because I'm seeing, I'm seeing it in my own market before. There was people wholesaling before, way before any of this mastermind stuff was out. Sure. There, there's people that used to do it in the paper. Um, but what I was saying a minute ago about fix and flipping is that I I never understood or anything that made sense to fix and flip, I might as well just keep it. And so that's what we do. Because if I put the, if I put any of the labor into it, I'll just keep it um, because we did two flips. So I take that back. I did two flips and I, I just dealt with the same retail horrid stories that even when the market was awesome, I'm getting TRR reports. I'm getting, I'm having to deal with the the negotiations, the retail clients and, And we've, we've also done some novations and I'll be completely honest. I'm dealing with the same thing and I want nothing to do with
0: it anymore. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Novations work well for us. It took us a while to pitch them. Um, but I think that's where the, the value is, is like, it's hard to pitch that it's not like, it's not just like, yeah, I'll give you this in cash. Um, those are, those are low hanging fruit. Um, you know, I was making a couple notes as you were speaking, I think that the market for newbie investors is massive and it's, and it's very crowded. I mean, uh, massive in the sense that like you can spend years trying to get that machine up and running, right. Trying to consistently do deals. I bet the people who are stuck in that, like, uh, you know, hustle phase of the business, just like fix your mindset, bro. And just like get on the phones and talk to as many people as you possibly can. It's like, well, yes, those, those are uh, true things, but we need to take into account. Like if you really want to get good in this business, you're competing with, with the guys who have been in it for 30, 40 years who are absolute sharks and they will eat your lunch. They're like, they're like, come on in, man. You're not competing with me. You're competing with all the other wholesalers out there who have identified yeah. with this thing. They're not picking their head up. They're not finding more efficient you know, ways to solve problems. They're not working on their skills and investing in themselves. They're just trying to get rich quick. And yeah, it's a big market, but it's highly crowded and it's really tough to move from there to the next phase, which is why I have a lot of respect for the people who have, have recognized that they've recognized that this isn't a quick get rich quick scheme. People have been doing this for, for decades. It's It's just a matter of, it's just hot. It's just got hot because the real estate market got hot.
1: Yep. Yep. And, and to, and to your point, you know uh, most of these guys don't have a freaking clue about real estate in general. Like, they don't have, they don't understand loans. They don't understand uh, what they can do with that property. All they know is that they, they're on a, they got a course and they're like, I need to buy this at a discount. I need to sell this for a buck. And, and I get that that was probably a decent model for a little while there when you could sell anything, but it's not working anymore. And, and it's I mean, not, we get discour- them on the phone, man, and it, it, we just shut them down. Like, they try to buy That's properties right.
0: from us. So, if you know how to sell and you know this business, it's really not, hard. there's not, it's not competition. It's not. You know, um, and, I, and I don't mean all this to like discourage anybody who's trying to get into real estate. We were I was in the same boat. I was that person. I was that statistic. Uh, the real question is, like, how are you going to differentiate yourself from the pack? How are you going to add value to these people and the different relationships that you're accumulating? Because if you're just trying to steal that house for as low as you possibly can, that just—it's—it's it's not a sustainable model. It it's will not, not work long term. It might work for a couple deals. Yep. it's not going to—it's not how to build a business. It's not how to run an investing business, which is much different than just doing a deal or two.
1: You're, you're on point. Like, let's say they made fifty thousand dollars in the first year, just wholesaling a few deals. Like, what? Well, what you can't, it's going to cost you that $50,000 to even start and grow that business. Like you're just going to make mistakes. You're going to actually try to turn something, learn something, invest in something, uh, market, et cetera. And what what, it's just, you have to be able to do exactly what you talked about a minute ago. And that is sustainability. You have to be able to do it over and over and over.
0: Yeah. And this is where, I mean, I confess, this is the the hurdle that we're trying to cross in our own business. And again, I I'm speaking on this because I have actual experience i'm like literally doing it right now and i know you're probably in the same boat i I am right we're we're trying to figure out how to go from uh gary gary harper calls it um it's like the hustle phase the perseverance phase and then to viability and from viability to scalability and sometimes i feel like i bounce back and forth between perseverance and viability like oh no we're we're really dialing it in and it's like then you have you have two months where you're like damn we didn't get any deals. Like, this yeah. sucks. You get no deals or, or
1: somebody quits or something. Oh, exactly. And you're that, like, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. You don't yeah. have the
0: right people and like you're, you're constantly like stomping these things. And, um, yeah, so that's the challenge really is like, how do we take this and actually turn it into a reliable, predictable business so that we can go identify with whatever it is that we really want. Right. And not make the tool our identity. Right. Right. Well, man, I've, I've probably got a bunch of notes. I'm sure we could sit here and talk for another two hours, um, Of course, but I know we both got things to do. Um, before we jump off, there's one more question I want to kind of, you know ask you. Yeah. And you know, I haven't really asked this on this podcast before, but I want to start asking it is, well, you know, knowing what you know now, again, back to the investor frame, knowing what I know now would I choose to opt into this situation. Knowing what you know now. And knowing that there might be some people who are in a similar situation as you, what would you do differently? So, knowing what I know now, what would I do differently? That's the question. In your real estate journey with your current business, you can take that any direction you want. But knowing what you know now, what might you have done differently? That's
1: a good question. Um, part of me wants to say my immediate my immediate gut tells me the same thing that we hear all the time from older investors and it's I wish I would have held on to more property. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean that's truth because I didn't go too in depth of it because we we're only limited on amount of time here. But when I start I started, I, I built a little portfolio. I kind of touched on it and then I hated it. I wasn't good at it. I didn't manage it right. I didn't I had multiple vacancies. I didn't tend to it because I had this uh you know image and ego of a builder and I and I needed to focus on that. So I neglected the rentals. If I were to have those now, can you imagine? I mean, there's only let's. I think it was only around less than uh, right under ten properties, but still, mm-hmm. I would have them less than fifty per, or fifty percent paid off by now at least, and I could have scooped that equity out. I could have bought more property. There's so much I didn't know then. I looked at it like, how much, how much am I making a month, right? Because when you start out, you need the cash flow. Yeah. I didn't think, well, I can't wait till five years from now when I have. Right. These ten properties, I was very short-sighted. I was like, "Well, I could sell this right now and make twenty thousand dollars, and I need the twenty thousand dollars, so right. let's go." And that's 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 what I wish I would have done. But you know, there's phases of business where you have to have that cash because yeah. you're growing and you're going through them. And I'm and we're in some of those now. You have to just play the dance of accumulate and keep as much as you possibly can. I Had a conversation with an entrepreneur the other day. He's, uh, he owns over four hundred rentals here in Oklahoma. And I said, man, I really admire where you've gotten and he's grown his business. Um, and he said he said this to me. He said, It's a dance. Like you got you, the business needs cash, but you also need to not get enamored with the quick buck and have the you know, aggressive patience essentially to build the portfolio because that's the ultimate wealth that you're gonna end up having. You know, whether it's multifamily commercial single families, obviously what we're doing and talking about because it's the easier vehicle to get in. Yeah. And so my my long winded answer was, I wish I would have kept more and understood more of why I did that, but I probably couldn't have financially kept them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, right. It's easy to say with hindsight. And I've heard that so many times and I've done the same thing. I've sold properties because I needed the cash, frankly. Didn't you need it? It's like, how can I regret this later? Because there wasn't an option. It was there was, it was not an option, right? It's like, I have to sell this in order to do this other thing that I need or want to do. And so, no, I appreciate that because that's a great answer. Um, find and, a way to keep more of these things. And right? I want to
1: touch on something before we go, uh, Paul. I feel like I found a bit of a solution because of that. And, and you're helping me bring this out. This is a good – this is good because – the 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 way I was able to to fix that one of the houses that I did I had one of those houses I still hung on to I couldn't get it sold I had a tenant in there destroyed it didn't have the money to fix it so I was up shit creek essentially right like it was worth less than what I had what I had it at because she destroyed it but I that was my first house I contracted for deed like in 2016. And the guy went in, rehabbed it, rented it out, and then ended up paying me off in like two years. And I was like, what? But he gave me money down, the money down I needed. I needed that instead of selling it, going on market uh, and getting retail uh, and making a quick 10 to 20 grand at the time because it needed work. I contracted it and he handed me 20 grand and I still had it. And then he paid me payments, like a rental payment, and I was still making 150 bucks a month off of that one. And so, Uh, uh, the the contract for deed for us has been super helpful as another tool to not have to just take a bath or uh,
0: to not have to sell those properties when you don't when you don't really want to. Man, you got me thinking about one because uh, I have a flip that is just it's we're gonna lose. I mean, I'm ex I'm I'm already in my head expecting to lose six figures on this deal. Like it is no. just. Yeah, absolutely to on gone to it.
1: Haywire. Because we all know over time, the property will go up to that value, yeah. right? It will come back. And so now you won't be able to sell it because you have already sold it, but that's okay. You could probably still sell it at that price. And so what I was able to do is I'm one, getting the cash up front that I needed to get out and go. And then I also am getting the cash flow. And mm-hmm. so, it, you know, the dance for me now is between, does this fit in the Uh, bucket of rentals or does this fit in the bucket of contract for deeds or is this a wholesale and Mm. that's kind of how we structure it i don't do any fix and flips maybe that would be something that i had to have
0: but i don't like it man well i'm gonna probably message you outside of this so you can help me save uh save my ass on this flip that's gone uh to shit and this is the power of community right this is why we talk to each other so anyways man I'm uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. You have such a cool story. And I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with what you said today. Um, Thanks, man. Anything else you want to add before we jump off?
1: No, if uh, you guys are, are looking for more information, I'm going to start pumping out a lot more real estate content on my social media. Uh, I admire you for doing a podcast. I think we talk about this a lot when we're together uh, physically in the masterminds and stuff. But uh, I think this is huge to get to get our brands out there, to get us in front of people and help other investors not make the mistakes that we've made. And maybe just people that are thinking about getting in the industry. So uh, you can hit me up on Instagram at, at, at dot, Austin.Hancock1. And then uh, I have a YouTube as well. And just message me if you guys got any questions.
0: I love it, man. I was getting ready to promote you because I got all your, your shit right here. You but... probably have it and you won't stumble over it if you say it. No, but seriously, like I, Austin, go check out his Instagram to check out the sick house that he lives in and the awesome cars <laughs> that he drives around. Thanks, bro. I so, appreciate no, that. So no, you got some cool stuff, man. So anyways, yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in today and uh, we'll see you on the next episode.
1: Awesome.